Philippians 3 today, and this is the second in our series on the love of God, or sonship assumes fatherhood. Welcome. This is Jesus, the patterned son, attempt to give you sonship doctrine that is faithful and fulsome, or in other words, a go at it that's biblical and orderly. Bless God. Hallelujah. Thank you for coming back. We're going to talk about Philippians 3, 10, 11, and 12 today. Of course, it can't be the last word. You wouldn't sit through the last word in a podcast. That would be a doctoral dissertation or two or three to be the last word of Scripture. But this is such an important passage. Philippians 3, 10, 11, and 12, as it has often been quoted in our conversation in King James, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. That I might know him, that I might follow after him, that I might by some means attain the resurrection of the dead. This is how it has been used in our conversation. And I said last time, it has been used as a bludgeon. A bludgeon. Bludgeon people say that they haven't attained to knowing Jesus. They haven't attained to a resurrection. And that it's questionable whether they ever will. And so if this is what is meant by this scripture, and if this is then repeated over and over, then it is used to induce a fear and an anxiety and a craven desire to be obedient in order that maybe somehow you can know Jesus, maybe somehow you can grow into sonship, maybe somehow you can find a resurrection. And so if this is what is meant and this is what is done, it takes the assurance of salvation, in fact, away. And we never meant to do that, surely. We always agreed that we were saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. We were being sanctified. We learned the scripture and we wanted to be mature sons like Jesus. That was the original agreement. I, I understood that I was being invited to go all the way with God, and that's what I said yes to. And I was told there was further maturity than simply being saved, that I could grow to be like Jesus, at least as part of the total many-membered Son of God, or the total body of Christ, as a part of a larger group. Fine! And I'm still, I still agree with that. But if the agreement somehow was changed, like a bait and switch too, if you obey clearly enough, 
our ever-changing demands, then you might get to be saved. And at least you're on the path so you can at least feel that you are superior to others who identify as Christians. But you never know. You just never know. You don't know Jesus unless I tell you. And you you are not saved unless unless I'm pleased with you. And, and to be mature means to... to be my slave and to do everything I say and th- that's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> that's a whole different kettle of fish. So now, do a thought experiment with me. If that were to happen in a group, what would follow? Clearly, there would be some who would say, forget this and I'm out of here. And there would be others who would be craven followers. But it's unlikely that that kind of bait and switch would happen quickly. But so over time, over an extended period of time, some decades, what would follow? If that were being preached, what you'd expect to have happen is that there would be some people who would be tightly hanging on to eldership and tightly hanging on to positions of uh, uh, well high positions and then you'd have many other people who were simply abandoning doctrine abandoning anything but simply getting along as their property their family and their friends and their life firmly rooted in such a group and particularly as they get old and they don't want to have to establish something anywhere else, then they're going to retreat into niceness that doesn't inquire of God and doesn't want to be mature. And there might be some party affiliations, but by and large, it's about getting along. And so the worst possible outcome and I'm not saying this is happening to everybody but it's certainly what we feared when we left was if you are willing to give up good doctrine salvation for anything else whether it's pride a different doctrine or simply reputation are you denying the Lord that bought you If you're not any longer saved by Jesus' finished work on the cross, apprehended by faith, what are you doing? And that's, of course, the arguments in Galatians, Colossians, Philippians, that you shouldn't be moved off of the walk by faith into the Judaizers. And, of course, they were only suggesting you should follow the Judaic law. They weren't following, suggesting you should follow something made up or ever changing. But this is what Paul is arguing against. And of course, Paul didn't think that he wasn't preaching greasy grace. And many modern churches do that. All you have to do is pray the prayer and be part of the party. And that's it. All you, that's all you have to do. You could live any way you want. Of course, Paul didn't say that makes very clear that there are behavioral expectations and 
James has something to say about that also. Faith without works is dead. Uh, okay, fine. Not to put too fine a point on it. But it was this scripture in particular that is often used to make people anxious and to say that there is something somehow different from the walk of faith that we started when we became justified, when we became new creatures, that I might know him as if that that you don't know him and I am, you know, because I'm some big hoo-ha, if you obey me, then I'll let you know him, that I might find out the power of his resurrection if I only suffer enough. So if by some means I might attain to the resurrection, that's how you read it. Well, wait, is that what it says? Is that what it says? So I've got several Bibles out here. Let's go to the Woost New Testament. And let's go to, let's start with, oh, let's start with nine. Or maybe even three and one. Dr. Woost says that Paul is using himself as an example in order to warn the saints against the Judaizers. And so in 3 and 1, he says, finally. But this doesn't mean what finally does in a sermon. He says this means, okay, and now now for the rest of what I want to tell you, because he'd been talking about something else. So, so now he's going to turn his attention to this great danger that he wishes to warn the Philippians about. And it's the Judaizers. So these are Jews who say they're Christians, but who think that Jesus is Savior of Israel only, and if you are a Gentile, then you have to become a Jew in order to be saved. All right, so, so first off, he says, go on constantly rejoicing in the Lord. Well, that's, that's a very encouraging translation, rather than, as the King James says, rejoice in the Lord, as if it's a command. Let me just read you Woost here. His first exhortation was designed as a positive preventative of becoming entangled in this false teaching. Quote, go on costly rejoicing in the Lord, unquote. So he says the Judaizers were rejoicing and boasting in attainments that humans can do. But we should rejoice for what God has done for us. So here's his translation. For as for the rest of which I wish to say to you, go on constantly rejoicing in the Lord. To go on writing the same things to you is not to me irksome or tedious, while for you it is safe. And then he says, beware, meaning constantly observing. And he says the Judaizers, and he says the concision, he's talking about mutilations that uh, are illegal in the Mosaic law. So he says the Judaizers mutilated the message of the gospel by adding law to grace and thus their own spiritual lives and those that of their converts. Let me just read you his translation. Keep a watchful eye ever upon the dogs. So this is not the word doggy that Jesus used to the Samaritan, you know, a house pet. This is a flea mangy outside stray. Keep a watchful eye ever upon 
upon the dogs. Keep a watchful eye ever upon the evil workers. Keep a watchful eye ever upon those who are mutilated doing this for the purpose of bewaring of and avoiding the same. For as for us, we are the, the circumcision. Those who by the Spirit of God are rendering service and obedience and who are exulting in Christ Jesus, who have not come to a settled persuasion trusting in the flesh. So this is a joyful walk. And how could this be a joyful walk if you were in anxiety wondering if you would ever attain? No. All right. So they have a settled persuasion, but we have a different one. Okay. And then verse 4. Although, as for myself, I might have confidence even in the flesh, if, as is the case, anyone else presumes to have come to a subtle persuasion trusting in the flesh, I could occupy that place and with more reason. So he knows that he's a better Jew than they are because he, he wasn't a convert and he was zealous and so forth going on. Eight days old in circumcision, my origin from Israelitish stock, belonging to the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, from true Hebrew parents, with reference to the law of Pharisee, with regard to zeal, a persecutor of the church, with reference to that kind of righteousness which is in the law, become blameless. And Luce tells us that Benjamin was highly regarded and we know from history that being of Tarsus and being of a Jew that his parents were wealthy okay because only the wealthy Tarsans were allowed to keep their citizenship okay verse 7 but the things which were of such a nature as to be gains to me these things I have set down for the sake of Christ as a loss so he had many things in which to boast, but he is accepting Jesus as Messiah and working for him, right? So those things are lost. Those attainments, forget them. Verse 8. Okay, now we're getting to the meat of the thing. Yea, indeed, therefore, at least even I am still setting all things down to be a loss for the sake of of that which excels all others, my knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, which I have gained through experience, for whose sake I have been caused to forfeit all things, and I am still counting them dung, in order that Jesus I may gain. So he's saying that he knows Jesus, and he's going to continue in this. He wants to know him better. So the expression, the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, does not refer to the knowledge. Well, let's just see what Weiss has to say. Okay, so he says, this refers to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, which Paul gained through the experience of intimate companionship and communion with him. Oh, so this has nothing to do with like, doing things that you're told to do obedience this has to do with communion oh that's interesting well the words have suffered are in the greek text a business term meaning to fine to punish by exacting a forfeit so one could translate for whose sake i have been caused to forfeit paul left a rich life to become a missionary oh it's very different 
from entering a monastery and, and doing what the abbot says so that you can get reputation and some sort of attainments. Okay, so that I may win Christ. This latter expression does not refer to Paul's acquisition of Christ as Savior, but to Paul's appropriating into his life as a Christian the perfection, the graces, the fragrance of the person of Christ. The word win is the translation of the same Greek word translated gain in verse 7. This acquisition of the perfections of Christ he elaborates upon in verse 9 to 14. Oh, ho, ho. Okay, so now we get to 9. Translation. Yea, in order that I might through observation of others be discovered by them to be in Christ, not having as my righteousness that righteousness which is of the law, but that righteousness which is through the faith in Christ, that righteousness which is from God on the basis of faith. So you can't read verse 10, divorce from verse 9. He is specifically saying that he has righteousness because he's connected with Jesus, but he wants it to be manifest in his life so other people see it. Now let's go to verses 10 and 11. Yes, for his sake I've been caused to forfeit, forfeit all things, and I count them but dung in order that I might come to know him in an experiential way, and to come to know experientially the power of his resurrection, and a joint participation in his sufferings being brought to the place where my life will radiate a likeness to his death, if by any means I might arrive at, at the goal, at the goal, namely the out-resurrection out from among those who are dead. So Wu says that Paul wants to come to know the Lord in the fullness of experimental knowledge, which is only wrought by being like him. He wants to know also in an experiential way the power of Christ's resurrection. That is, he wants to experience the same power which raised Christ from the dead, surging through his own being, overcoming sin in his life, producing the Christian graces. Of course, I would accept also having a glorified body. Of course, working miracles would have to be on that list, but we know Paul did move in miracles. The Greek word for power used here is the same word that's used in Romans 1 and 16, which and means that which overcomes resistance. He wants to come to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. The word for fellowship here means a joint participation. And the sufferings of Christ spoken here are, of course, not his substitutionary sufferings on the cross, but his sufferings for righteousness sake while on earth. Paul speaks of these and of his joint participation of them in Colossians 1 and 24. So Moody, I'm sorry, so woost, weast, however, I'm told it's woost. I used to say weast all the time. I don't know because he was a student of Moody Bible College, makes clear and points out that this could not possibly have to do with sufferings in order to be saved. And I think that's relevant to us here. But you can study this out yourself. But 
I say, Woost is particularly bringing that out. The words made conformable mean literally to bring to the same form with some other person. It is the same Greek word the apostle used in the great kenosis passage 2, 5 and 8, meaning in its verb form to give outward expression of one's inner intrinsic nature. Okay, so that's, that's good. So that's why I say manifesting what is positional. Okay. Paul's desire was that he might so come to know his Lord, the power of his resurrection operative in his life, and a joint participation in his suffering, that he would be brought to the place where he would become both as to his inner heart life and also the outward expression of the same like Jesus with respect to his death, not merely his physical death, which was for others, but his death to self. Okay, so that that I didn't read, Woost wants to specifically tell us that we don't have fellowship in Jesus' suffering in terms of his substitutionary work, but in the ambassadorial work as Jesus was here on earth. So this is Woos Word Studies in the Greek New Testament, volume 2, page 94. The expression, if by any means, is not an expression of doubt, but one of humility. It is a modest but assured hope, might attain, has the idea in the Greek text of to arrive at as at a goal. The Greek word used here, translated resurrection, is only found here in the New Testament. It is literally out-resurrection. Paul is not speaking here of the future resurrection of the physical body of the saint. That's assured him in 1 Corinthians 15. He has in mind the spiritual resurrection of the believing sinners spoken of in Ephesians 2, 4-8, through 8, a resurrection out from the state in which he was dead in trespasses and sin to which he was alive in the divine life of God motivating his being. I'm going to let you divide and decide that. But I would say at the very least, given Woost's prowess at translating the Bible from Greek, that that could be of good reading. Okay, so that's the deal. If by any means, doesn't mean there was doubt. He wants to arrive at the goal, we agree on that, is the out-resurrection from among those who are dead. Okay? But there's no turning back. So however you wish to see that, as Woos does or not, the point is that it is not somehow pulled out of and opposite to the rest of his argument. Verse 12, not that I have already made acquisition or that I have already been brought to that place of settled spiritual maturity beyond which there is no progress, but I am pursuing onward if I may lay hold of that for which I have been laid hold of by Christ Jesus. This word attained in this verse is from a different Greek word than that in the preceding verse. In the latter instance, we found that it meant to arrive as at a goal. Okay. He has come to experience, in some degree at least, the power of God surging through his being. He has entered into joint participation 
with Christ in suffering for righteousness' sake. The stoning at Lystra is an example of that. He has been brought to the place in his experience where he radiates to some degree the selflessness, the self-abnegation of the Lord Jesus. But he has not appropriated these, laid hold on these in the fullest measure. There is room for much improvement and advance in these respects. Then he says, either we're already perfect. The Greek word used here does not mean sinless and flawless, but spiritually mature. Paul uses it three times in contrast with the Greek word meaning spiritually immature. The tense is in the perfect. Paul states that he has not come to the place in his Christian life where growth and spiritual maturity has been completed beyond which there is no room for further development. And that as a result, he is now in the state of absolute spiritual maturity. He has not reached a spiritual impasse of non-development. That's cute. Okay. To follow after. He wants to catch hold of it and pull it down like a football player. Yes. Hallelujah. Okay. Verses 13 and 14. Brethren, as for myself, as I look back upon my life and calmly draw a conclusion, I'm not counting myself yet as one who has an absolute and complete way laid hold of that for which I've been laid hold of by Christ Jesus. But one thing I, in fact, am forgetting completely the things that are behind, but I'm stretching forward to the things that are in front, bearing down upon the goal. I am pursuing on for the prize of the call from above of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And all of us were striving. We entered this conversation because we wanted to attain that goal. The question is only, have we a proper understanding of the method? Hallelujah. But let's talk about the prize of the call from above of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So once again, we're brought back to the preeminence of Jesus. Jesus as the patterned son. Jesus as, that's where the goal is, in fact. And then, ha, let us go on. Verse 15, Paul says, let as many as be perfect. All right, so there's, as far as I can tell, two ways to look at this. Either you can take this seriously and say, he's talking about the mature people and they'll come, you know, uh, appealing to the mature saints at Philippians. Or perhaps he's being uh, sardonic, sarcastic and saying, all these who think they're perfect, right. Anyway, God will reveal it to him. But, um, and Wu seems to take him a little bit more seriously Uh, But there is a hint of the other. So his translation for verse 1 is, As many, therefore, as are spiritually mature, let us be of this mind. And if, as is the case, in anything you are differently minded, and that in an evil sense, this also will God reveal to you. So here, Woos thinks that as many as be perfect, that Paul is asserting that some of the Philippian saints and also he himself were perfect. Okay, because he includes himself in that. So, so those of us who are mature, we're, we're going to be of the same mind. But in verse 12, he denies the fact that he is yet perfect. How are we to understand this, Wu says? Again, he exhorts those who are perfect to consider themselves not yet perfect. And we ask again, How are we to understand this? Is Paul asking Philippian saints to deny the reality of something they know to be a fact? 
The answer is found in the fact that in verse 12, Paul is speaking of the finished process and the absolute spiritual maturity beyond which there is no room for improvement, whereas in verse 15, he's speaking of relative spiritual maturity where there is room for development and growth. This is clear from the fact that the former verse, he uses a verb in the perfect tense, whereas in the latter, he uses the noun. Paul therefore exhorts the Philippian saints who are spiritually mature to consider themselves so in a relative sense and to remember that there is much room for spiritual growth in their lives. The spiritual maturity spoken here is, as we have seen, not the state of sinlessness or flawlessness, but one of completeness. Okay, so we have already dealt with that, that even if it is sinlessness, then there is a sense in which we can be relatively mature where we don't go around sinning every day hallelujah and this brings a lot of hope to us rather than the strange doctrine i think it's quite strange oh we have to sin every day what uh uh, and if you adopt that then what happens you're okay with sinning you're okay with cheating your business so what if you don't drink smoke go with those who do you then you Don't tell me you have to sin every day. That's not in the Bible. I think we need to strive for going on to know him and to being like him. That's okay. But for those of us who have lived a Christian life for a long time and are not aware of sinning every day, then we may think we're relatively mature. Are we doing exploits? There are some people who regularly see people saved and healed and delivered hallelujah okay so maybe they're the spiritually mature all right so are they of one mind Hmm, pretty much okay all right so yet we don't think that they are in their glorified bodies so this does make sense if you take it in the literal if you think he's being uh, sarcastic then is he putting himself in the bunch? And how does that work? Anyway, he's saying he's pressing on. So we're agreed that we're going to do that. But I'm pointing out to you that this is part of the trajectory of the whole conversation that Paul was having. And that the striving to attain cannot possibly be going back to some rule set because that's the that's entirely opposite to what he's talking about but in fact going on to know the lord and his power of his resurrection is by continuing in faith and communion and manifestation of exactly how jesus was hallelujah okay okay and verse 16 only one thing so far as we have come let us keep our lives on the same path. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. Keeping it on the same path. To know Jesus and to know his resurrection is not somehow a new path, a path of works, a path of anxiety. No, no, no. That's exactly opposite to what the passage says. So don't let people pull out one or two verses to you. And you not read the whole argument, the whole chapter, the whole book, the whole Bible for that matter. Let us keep our lives on the same path. The word translated attained 
is a different Greek word from the word translated attain in 3 and 12. The word there meant to take or appropriate. The word means to arrive at or to reach. And speaking of progress along a road to a certain point, Paul is thinking of the Philippians' progress along the Christian path, his idea, so far as we have come. The word walk means to proceed in a row and refers to literal walking. Its next meaning is to go on prosperously, to turn out well. Ha, ha, ha. Hallelujah. Then it means to direct one's life, to live. It has the last meaning here. The word rule is not in the Greek, but has been supplied by the translators. The literal Greek is walk by the same. The context speaks of a path. Okay, so only one thing. So far as we have come, let us keep our lives on the same path. Hallelujah. Woo! And the prosperousness it matters here too because if we are supposed to gain sonship or let alone salvation by doing what Jesus did in terms of pouring ourselves out and becoming poor, well, there have been plenty of people who would have attained if that were the method. And for us, that just makes us miserable. We're not turning out well. And that's not the way Jesus was. Jesus wasn't in lack. And although Paul was temporarily in lack, in the final analysis, he had enough to do his mission. Okay, he said, my God shall supply all your need. That's Philippians. So clearly he, although he had it rough, he chose to have it rough because he chose to be a missionary or was called to be a missionary and indeed apostle. He left prosperous family uh, who was in business and he could have also been a very well-respected teacher. Obviously, he was somewhat skilled in the Jewish. He studied under Gamaliel and so forth. He, he could have had a, a life there, but he left all of those possibilities to be what we know as Paul. And so poverty, that's another story altogether from the Roman church. Okay, that's not what it says here. Hallelujah. Verse 17. Be imitators of me, brethren, and observe attentively those who conduct themselves in a manner which reflects the example which you have in us. Once again, he's making himself an example as a standard or norm of new life. So it's not about gaining reputation or wealth. It's about becoming a hand of Jesus, hand of God's love in the world. And everybody can come because it's based on faith. Hallelujah. Finally, I think, 18 and 19. For many are going about concerning whom I often have been telling you, but now I'm telling you weeping enemies they are of the cross of Christ, whose end is utter destruction, whose God is their belly, and that which they esteem to be their glory is their shame who regard the things upon the earth. So he's making an allusion to a Greek literature. The Cyclops in Euripides says, My flocks, which I sacrifice to no one but myself and not to the gods, 
and to this my belly the greatest of the gods for to eat and drink each day and to give oneself no trouble this is the god of wise men so this is the epicurean philosophy and we have these situations going on in our world we have the epicureans who say hey have fun <laughs> you know and we have these in the church it's all of grace you can live however you want go to church when you want call yourself a christian because you recited a prayer after somebody and it's all good that's not the bible it's not all good equally well we have the concision who who cut yourself off and who urge you to get your salvation by following some law set or mosaic or some other both of these are ditches <laughs> along the true path that we are to follow hallelujah so i hope that should be clear maybe to chase it down we should read it in the amplified philippians 3 and 1 for the rest my brethren delight yourself in the lord and continue to rejoice that you are in him hallelujah hallelujah is this what we were taught when we were reading 10 11 and 12 verse 2 look out for those dogs the judaizers look out for those mischief workers look out for those who mutilate the flesh verse 7 but whatever former things i had that i might have been gains to me i have come to consider as one combined loss for Christ's sake. Yes, furthermore, I count everything as lost compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth, and the supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. For his sake I have lost everything and consider it all to be mere rubbish refuge dregs in order that i might win gain christ the anointed one so he's not saying he doesn't have him hallelujah anyway he said he already left the past life so that he could live in jesus nine and that i may actually be found and known as in him and not having any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own based on my obedience to the laws demands ritualistic uprightness and supposed right standing with god thus acquired thus possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in christ the anointed one and truly right standing with god which comes from god by saving faith verse 10 for my determined purposes that i might know him that i might progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly that i may that i may in some way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection which it exerts over believers and that i may also share his suffering as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness even to his death in the hope that if possible i may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead even while in the body Verse 12, not that I have already attained this ideal or I have already perfect, but I press on to lay hold of grasp and make my own that for which Christ Jesus the Messiah has laid hold of me and made 
me his own. I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet, but one thing I do, it is my one aspiration, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. Verse 15, so let those of us who are spiritually mature and full grown have this mind and hope these convictions and if any in any respect you have a different attitude of mine God will make that clear also to you only let us hold true to that which we have already attained and walk and order our lives by that okay verse 16 is a great conclusion only let us hold true to that which we have already attained and walk and order our lives by that hallelujah so we do know Jesus. We have been dead, buried, and raised with him. Hallelujah. But we'd like to know and experience and manifest that more. Yes. And so, yes, we strive for the prize of the high calling. We want to be like Jesus, God's hand of love reaching out in the world. We want to follow Paul doing exactly that. And we might face persecution we might face trials in that but not that we should have some lack or not be able to do our mission that's a whole different thing than becoming poor to attain the knowledge of Jesus or striving by some law set or by saying that we know him because we're positionally and not doing anything. So yes, we're striving forward. Hallelujah to the upward call in Christ Jesus. Yes. But not with some bait and switch. Only let us hold true to that which we have already attained and walk and order our lives by that. Hallelujah. Well, I hope this has been helpful to you. Don't be bludgeoned. Don't be in anxiety. Be in confidence. Confidence that you are loved and therefore you can manifest the family's love. Amen. Strong. Please give us a like wherever you are listening to us so that others might find us. And please share directly with those who might be interested. You are invited to write us at sister at jesuspatternson.com dot org sister at jesus patternson dot org and of course you are welcome to come to our website at jesus patternson dot org may the lord bless you